Welcome to the No Clue Podcast. This is a bonus episode after game one of the NBA Finals. I'm one of your hosts. I'm Tyler. I'm Mike. And um, so, game one has been completed. Uh, the Suns waxed. Yes. A, a very, very impressive win by the Suns. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, what did you see? Let's start there. You, you know what frustrates me? Like, as as the game is going on, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of thought back to a lot of the stuff we talked about. Yeah. And it, it really frustrated me that we're two, you know, viewers who called out a lot of their concerns. Yeah. And Milwaukee looked clueless about their own concerns. Yes. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, it, it's like they don't... Where do you want to start, man? Honestly, we can start there. Start with Milwaukee and their uh, concerns. No, no, no. I, I think I think I'd rather start with Phoenix because there's really not too much to say for Phoenix. Okay, okay, okay. Let's go, Phoenix. Uh, you know it's tough, man. Like Sarge getting hurt early on, I thought would hurt them a lot more than it did. Yeah, he only played two minutes. Yeah, and I thought it would put a lot more pressure on Aiton to stay out of foul trouble, to, Um, like, play more minutes than maybe he's used to. On Bridges and Crowder to guard bigger guys that they normally don't guard. Cam Johnson as well. But but Phoenix did a really good job, like, feeding off the crowd. Yeah. They did a really good job of playing team defense. Yeah. And they also did a really good job of coming out and making a strong effort to get to the basket. Yeah. I told you about it with Devin Booker, who I, I was really impressed with in that first quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but later, as the game progressed, a lot of guys started trying to get drives, trying to like create kickout opportunities for shooters to get wide open looks. Yeah. And they really, I mean, as a team, they really weren't shooting that great at yeah. first. At least, and Booker definitely wasn't shooting well, but he was getting to the line too, yeah. um, free throw line a lot. And he nice. was earning free throws. It wasn't like you know, I wasn't watching the game thinking like, damn, they're giving him fluke calls, you know, kind of like the Harden thing. Yeah. Uh, again, he was like forcing it inside, trying to get contact. Yeah, there was fluke calls, but it wasn't like you know, superstar calls for Booker. Right. It's the same thing that happened with the Lakers last year. They would be so physical for so long. Like, you're going to get extra calls just because you're being physical more often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one um, they called on Forbes when he had that... uh, Booker had that, like, pull up, and Forbes was just standing straight up. Yeah, that was a bad call. (laughs) That was bad, but it was right after Booker went and drew a legit call like that. Right. So, to your point... um, and the just even when he didn't, look. even when he didn't get to the paint, you saw his pull-ups were like free throw line range. Mm-hmm. Which even if he's missing those, I want him taking that all night. Easy rebound shots. Exactly. Sure. Yep. And the last point about Phoenix, because again, there's really no negatives from this game. I thought their role players shot the ball well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Except Crowder. <laughs> But Crowder, like you told me, was just everywhere on defense. Yeah, nine. He had nine rebounds. He was active scrabbing. hands. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the last big point was CP was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. 
I mean, like he he looked like a Hall of Fame point guard because every time he got a mismatch, he was exposing. Yeah, yeah. No one could guard him in this game. So Definitely now not. we move to Milwaukee. Yep. <sighs> First of all, <clears throat> and we said this last episode, the the switches has to stop. The hedging is really bad. I mean, they're not hedging. They're just switching. And it's not working. It's worse than not working. It's disastrous for them. <laughs> you know, I criticized the, the Clippers, the whole playoffs, for doing that. Yeah. But they have the lineups to to do that. Yeah, they're really... Everyone on their team is versatile. Right. The their, their problem was just, like, individually they didn't like live up to the defensive potential that they could have. Right. Here, you know, a lot of people have talked about this. I think Stephen A mentioned it, other people on ESPN. Like you you're putting Brooke Lopez on CP3. Yeah. In, in what universe is that a good idea? And in, in what universe do you not see that in the first half and come out and make sure it doesn't happen again. That's the most, you know, concerning part of it for me. Exactly. It, it happened maybe three or four times in the first, probably twice in the first quarter, then three or four times in the first half, and then all the whole second half, it was just expose Lopez, yeah, go and, at Portis. And in the second half, yeah, like you said, it was. it's like Budenholzer's only switch-up was Instead of Lopez getting caught on an island, it'll be Portis getting caught on an island. Right. And it just wasn't really fair to Portis because CP's already, like, going. Maybe in the first quarter, if it was Portis, it would would be a little bit different. But CP already has, like, 26, you know, 24. (laughs) What's the point, you know? Yeah, it, it didn't make any sense. And I'm watching the game. And, like, Phoenix it very slowly pulled away. Yeah. It, it was, like, drawn out. The game felt like it was in Phoenix's favor for most of the night. Mm-hmm. But, like, Milwaukee hung around. Yeah, they did. But they never learned what kept them in the game. Right. So that was just, that was so shocking to me. Yeah. And, you know... They stayed in the game, which gives me, not I guess not hope, but makes me feel that they can win a game, even when Phoenix is rolling like they were. You know, and Phoenix was really balanced. They had two guys off the bench in double figures. That's, you know, that's good. And Milwaukee, to me, played, I think they overall played bad. Um, yes, five Drew Holiday was disgusting. And I, I texted you like second or third quarter and said, I haven't seen Drew Holiday take a good shot this yes. whole game. It wasn't like he was missing easy shots. He was taking a bunch of really bad shots. Yes. Half an hour into the game, Drew Holiday, who's debatably the most athletic guard in the series, mm-hmm. couldn't get a good shot. None. Campaign, on the other hand, who was probably the least athletic guard, was routinely getting good shots. Yes. Uh, for some reason, Milwaukee 
was getting exposed on defense with mismatches, but yet never exploited any mismatches on their end. Yeah. None. I I told you once, um, you know, when we were talking during the game, Bobby Porter's got a switch campaign on him and he fades out to the three and lets uh Drew Holiday try to take Aiton one on one from like a extended elbow. Yeah. I, I'm taking Portis over pain before I take Holiday over Aiton. Like, yeah. I, I don't, I don't understand what the, I don't get it. I just don't get it. Again, it, this was another perfect example of the collective shot selection IQ and the lack thereof. Yes. Like Giannis is like how how does Milwaukee not try to get smaller guys on Giannis? I have no idea. They don't even. They like did it like twice, an and it worked, and it worked, and exactly. then they never went at it again. But then, like, they want to iso Giannis on the two strongest players on the team. Yeah, Aiton and Crowder. I- I'm looking at it. I'm like, yo, you're not even trying to get him a mismatch, but you want him attacking the best aspect of the defense. What right. sense does that make? None. None at all. And what frustrated me is throughout the game, like our two biggest concerns were Budenholzer's coaching and Giannis fitting with like how well this team could play. Right. I liked how Giannis came into the game. Me too. Uh, and we were, I think we were both surprised that he was ready to go game one. Yeah. But he, he had nothing to do. Like he didn't improve their like good aspects but he also didn't further like make worse the things they struggle with well that's evident and he's the only one on the starting lineup with a plus in his plus minus right he had plus one everyone else was minus double digits it's not like it was someone was like minus four kind of close to Giannis, close to being plus the closest is minus eleven, and that's Middleton, and he—that's because he had twenty-nine. And he heated up when the game was kind of getting out of reach. Yeah, game was so a, a, a lot of his points are empty, like meaningless. Yep. But again, like he didn't play bad necessarily. He just never tried to get good looks. He and he took a lot of shots. Right. He took double any anyone else's shots and I just don't understand why on this roster Middleton has to like almost try to be like Devin Booker (laughs) and like the worst aspects of Devin Booker or any elite scorer yeah he has to basically jack for him to have a good game sometimes And, and that's I've never wanted Middleton to do that and I've never seen Milwaukee look bad enough for him to have to do that right but again, I'm looking at it, and Brooke Lopez is jabbing in the corner three-pointers. And he, I think, made one. Mm-hmm. But it's it's like, the, like just because you made the shot doesn't mean it was a good one, Brooke. And again, Brooke was taking the shot, and no one was in the paint to get the rebound. No one. We can't, our best shooter, three, and Brent Lopez Forbes, was... can't get a shot. None. Uh, like... PJ Tucker, I I want I think everybody wants him to be a corner specialist, but when you get him one corner shot, yeah, who's who's gonna be reliable to make that when they get one shot in a night? Right. 
Connaughton has to take all his threes from outside of his range. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like he, and he's it taking looks... them from what, like, in high school we call the volleyball line <laughs> every time. And it's like the the design of how this team plays. It's almost like they're trying to make Connaughton look bad. <laughs> yeah, it is. It does seem like that. I, like, really, it does. I'm just I'm looking at this game and Phoenix everybody who was in the game had a purpose everybody who was in the game had a feel for where their shots would come from mm-hmm. Milwaukee I I maybe saw one or two guys that got to experience that yeah you know one one thing that's really impressive about Phoenix for me everyone on the team can be aggressive and the team is like ready for it like it like they're ready for ter- um Tory Craig to come in there and take you know four or five shots or Cam Johnson to take six to ten shots campaign to take 10 to 15 shots if he wants everyone is like prepared for that uh reality yes. but for Milwaukee it's like if Forbes gets more than four shots off like no one understands that that's okay, it looks like. It looks yeah. like that's such a, um outlier of what they were trying to do. Like, Forbes is like... It makes it look like they're jacking, even though they're not. Like, Forbes should take five shots. Connaughton can get six shots off, but for some reason, it, like you said, it makes him look bad or makes it look like they're taking ill-advised shots. Yeah. No one on Phoenix ever looks like they're taking an ill-advised shot. Yeah. It's not that the shots are all good, but it all looks like, oh yeah, he's supposed to take that shot. Right. But Milwaukee, and I, I think I think a big part of it is because of the rebounding. Because it looks like when the Suns take shots, everyone is prepared to crash. Everyone is looking to see what to do next with the ball. Either go at the ball or get back on defense. They immediately grab a man. Milwaukee takes some shots and they look like they have to recover after like a broken play every time someone who's not Middleton or Giannis takes a shot. Yeah. I just... It's frustrating to watch how Holiday has to force himself into the game. And he's not... And being an ISO one-on-one player is not his game. It's not. He's not. It a, hasn't been his game in like seven years. <laughs> exactly. He's not just give me the ball. I don't care who's on me. We're playing king of the court mid game. That's not his game. Yeah, that's what kills me more than anything. Is Milwaukee almost encourages him to attack everyone? Yeah. Like, dude, you're not KD. What What are you doing? And then on the flip side of that, this is where. It's like every every episode that me and you record, we like have to go back and forth on whether Holiday <laughs> is better than Bledsoe or not. And I don't want to keep comparing him to Bledsoe. And Holiday, in our defense, Holiday does that to himself, it seems like. But this is where, when I said I didn't think it was like that big of a difference, it's clear that Holiday doesn't have... I don't mean this... I mean this respectfully... He doesn't have elite point guard IQ. Like he's he may be an elite point guard physically, 
uh, role-wise, but to me, even if I have the ball and like they're isoing me and I'm and Aiton is on me, I'm dribbling it back out and telling Porters to get down low and giving him the ball. CP does that all the time. Yep. CP may have a what we deem a favorable mismatch, but someone's mismatch is even more favorable, and he goes, and that's the play now. Holiday does not do that. Holiday's like, oh, I got it. I don't care if there's 16 seconds left. This is what we're doing. Okay, let me just let me figure it out. But he doesn't like. No one is forcing him to do that. He can pull it out and say, look, Giannis, I, I know I got the switch, but you got the other end of the switch. Let's do this. I feel like Holiday, of all the issues that Milwaukee shows on the court, I feel like Holiday is the most out of sync with Budenholzer. That, that's fair to say. Because just to use an example, pregame they you know they they show the clip of people mic'd up. Yeah. And Budenholzer was mic'd up, and in the in the locker room, he's talking about we got to play fast, like push the ball. <laughs> Whole yeah. first quarter, every time Phoenix scored, Holiday slowed it down. Right. Like, you're literally doing the opposite of the game plan. <laughs> right. <laughs> Especially since you just heard the game plan. And, and it's funny because the early couple minutes when they did push the ball, they got layups and dunks. Yeah, they did. Brooke Lopez got to seal Crowder, who is who should be like he should be taken advantage of. Yeah, Crowder can't stop Lopez's jump hook. Exactly. But it doesn't matter when we only get him a jump hook the first three minutes of the game and then forget he exists. Right. Or forget that he is an inside player. Yeah. And then, like, you're mad at him for missing. Who's going to play well when they're getting cooked on the other end? Right. It it was so bizarre to me that Lopez, again, similar to Connaughton, it's like Boonholzer wanted Lopez to look bad. I I agree. I mean, that, that's how it seems. Because, and, and you're the coach of the podcast, but I never, I never want to see Lopez with less than nine rebounds and his matchup have almost 20. Ever. Yeah. Make Aiton earn 19 rebounds. I need at least Lopez to have 11. If he has 11 and Aiton has 19, okay, Aiton was working. But you can't just have six. I don't care how many rebounds Greek Freak has. You can't have six rebounds and your matchup have 20. That's crazy. Yeah. This is, it doesn't make any sense. But a lot of that is because, again, Greek Freak comes back and he's way, he's not inside. Right. But this is like, this wasn't Greek Freak's fault this time, to be honest. It wasn't. It wasn't at all. I Because everything Greek Freak did was quick, was assertive. He moved the ball when it wasn't for him. He didn't, like, if he wasn't feeling it, he didn't force too many shots. I think he took one one jumper, maybe two. Yeah, two threes. Yeah. So, I just, I don't understand what Boonholzer is doing. I don't either. I don't know why, like, Greek Freak and Lopez can't, like, alternate in the paint or why they can't like be short corner and high post or anything like one has to be completely out of the three point line while the other one is down low. That it just 
They don't need to do that. They have enough shooters. They spread the floor well enough that two guys can be yeah. down there. It's okay. You know what it is? Phoenix works them on the other end doing it. <laughs> exactly. You know what it is, man? I think everybody has overestimated Milwaukee's defense, including themselves. Mm, okay. Because there's a lot of individual talent, and all their guys get defensive highlights. Yeah. Holiday gets highlights. P.J. Tucker gets highlights. Brooke Lopez gets blocks. Giannis gets blocks. Mm-hmm. But the cohesiveness of their defense is rarely there. Yeah, they have good defenders, but they don't have a good team defense. Exactly. Right. Like, yeah. they so rarely take charges, for example. Yeah, P.J. Tucker only does when it's like a... Um... Like an elbow to the face, or somebody like blatantly pushes him off. Yeah, or, or he he baits it, you know. Right. Like right. he reaches hard, and then he backs up, and they, you know, they go at him because they think he reached, but then he's already in charge position, and he takes it. Yes. That kind of thing. Crowder does the same thing. It, I just don't understand. It's funny because I'm thinking back to the game and. Jeff Van Gundy had the audacity at one point to be like, like, I am just so impressed with Brooke Lopez's improvement defensively or something like that. I remember him saying that, yeah. I'm, I'm watching the game. I'm like, yo, he's always been able to block shots. He's 7-1. <laughs> Even when he couldn't rebound in Brooklyn, he was blocking shots. Yeah, he was. As I mean, as a rookie, he was blocking shots. But you're watching CP3, and everybody was watching the game. CP3 is just torching him. It got yeah. to the point where everybody was torching him. It did, yep. And Jeff Van Gundy's talking about his improvements defensively. I didn't see him offer individual resistance in ISOs one time. Nope. They even had Bridges looking like a one-on-one threat. Dude, he, he gets low, like, his knees don't bend at all. Right. Like, he, he's the typical, like, immobile big who only lowers his back to get low. Yeah. And I'm watching it, and Boonholzer's just sitting there, like, everything is fine. And, and let's be clear, we're not saying that Lopez needs to be a better defender. We're saying that when the coach sees that someone is not a good defender... They need to make a change. Yes. I, like we've we, been known Brooks' inefficiencies defensively. Yeah, yeah. That's not the issue here. Right. Yeah. Because I, I think I think sometimes, I mean, not, not necessarily our listeners, but sometimes the way like Van Gundy will shape it or the commentators will shape it, it's like Lopez is, uh, like Lopez needs to step up. He might be playing his best and, and we're cool with that. But it's, it's the person who makes the adjustment that needs help that needs to figure yes. it out. I mean, he's I've I've liked him and he has improved as a rim protector. Right. But he's that's his peak to me. Yeah. I I never thought he could get switched out on the CP and contain him. Exactly. And it's almost like that was the game plan because he's 7-1, CP will have a tough time. No, CP's been in the league longer than anybody else in the series. Yep. And, and I guess... Go ahead. And one thing about guards uh, that people forget, like, CP has always been short. <laughs> like, 
We know how to play us short guards know how to be short. We've yes. done it our whole careers. Yes. So it's not like we we don't worry about and I'm I'm saying we because I'm a short guard, but CP doesn't worry about a seven foot dude. He's always had been the smallest guy on the court. Yes. It's like, you know, Lopez <clears throat> may say, Oh, I'm big, but like there's always someone bigger, always someone that uh may be shorter but stronger. But CP knows that, okay, regardless, someone's going to have the size advantage who's guarding me. Yeah, and it was funny because Brooke Lopez, like, just couldn't offer resistance because he tried to, you know, he tried to be, like, in between, give him a little space, but prevent him from getting to the basket. (laughs) Yeah. In the second half, Bobby Portis said, forget all that. I'm going to try to get up on CP and strap. Yeah. It, that was like it was it was fucking embarrassing to watch, honestly. But I I don't know why like when you have a defender, I mean, when you have guys as long and as quick as um, Giannis is and Middleton, I don't know why you won't hedge. Why aren't they just hedging? They're so that's the thing. They have the roster, the size to do it. I they have the probably the best team in the league to hedge exactly. to me because they're the most. The best shop walker can get from one end to the court to the other quicker than anyone else in the NBA. Exactly. So, like, if you were going to hedge, let's say Lopez hedge and CP got around him and tried to make that bounce pass, Giannis can come from the corner to the other corner and be, you know, be in defensive position quicker than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And so can Middleton. But... You know, I guess it's not the not the option at this point because they would need to actually go to practice for that. I I can't believe that we're talking about these two teams and Phoenix is the one who comes into the series and forces the ball inside. <laughs> yeah, and not even to Aiton with their guards and wings. Yeah, I mean Pat Connaughton hasn't gotten a layup this entire playoff, so it felt it feels like. Yeah, he had like one breakaway dunk, and that's it. Right. He hasn't had any in traffic. Yeah, Bridges gets to the basket routinely. Devin Booker, who who we we have talked about his finishing at the basket game probably being his weakest aspect of his offensive game. Yeah. He's getting to the basket. Yeah. Like straight line drives. He's not breaking anybody down. He's just going, and nobody's there. Yep. And Giannis has to have like a career defining block. <laughs> and now they think that, you know, they make the media think, oh, they can block shots inside, but they don't show all the easy layups Phoenix is getting. Exactly. That's the thing. Like, if you're getting a block and then giving up, you know what Milwaukee's defense is? Uh, I would compare it to that guard who gets a lot of steals, but his matchup gets 30. Like, shooter. Yeah, Mario Chalmers used to do this all the time. <laughs> He'd have like three or four steals, and with with Miami back then, that was a breakaway dunk every time, lob. Yeah. So it would look fire because he was initiating it. Yeah. But his matchup was eating. Yeah. So that to me is like, I, there has to be a level of awareness here, and it comes if it's not coming from the coaching staff first, it's not going to come from any of the players who we already established don't have the highest IQ. Yep. Baron Davis was like that too, by the way. 
people thought his defense was good because he, he had was just really defense. like strong. Yeah, and he'd but, get that those behind the like reach behind steals yeah, nicely. Yeah, yeah. But Darren was averaging like twenty seven a game, dude. Even I remember lost. rookie D Wade was eating him up. Yeah, yeah. So he, he'd catch you. He'd sneak a steal or two in there. Yeah, it's like it's like the the talented pickup player who doesn't really want to play defense, but he's got long arms or something like that. Yep, yep. And I guess this will be the final point because we have talked about coaching. Everything we talk about comes back to coaching with Milwaukee. It does, absolutely. And while I don't, this is a theory I have, and I want to see how the series progresses before you know we could see if I'm right or not. Mm-hmm. But the the bottom line, in my opinion, is Mike Budenholzer is not a championship coach, mm-hmm. and Milwaukee is so good that they could still force him to be one by winning the series, which they they still can do. Yes. That's that's how good they are. Is they have a coach who's not championship caliber, and they're in the finals in a still a, a pretty solid position. Mm-hmm. But to me, uh, he reminds Boonholzer reminds me of like a Dan Tony or a Terry Stotts or a Alvin Gentry, maybe. Mm-hmm. Those are just the the three names off the top of my head. And uh, I would say Terry Stotts is the lesser of those. Right. But And all those guys you're saying are very good system coaches. Yes, exactly. They create this system that works, that looks great. Exactly. Everyone feels good. They're in the position to compete. But when it comes to adjustments, when it comes to um, game time decisions, practicing, that's not their game. Exactly, and and just kind of more to that, when when the system clicks, uh, D'Antoni's teams could put up 150 and make it look easy. Yeah, Alvin Gentry's teams could put up like 35 fast break points and make it look like they do it every night. Yeah, uh, but the and even with Milwaukee, you saw it throughout the playoffs, Game Two against Miami. Yeah, when the shots are going, oh my God, they look unstoppable. All of those, by the way, all of those coaches you named, it yeah. was they won based off the IQ of their point guard. Exactly. It's obviously Dan Tony. I don't even need to mention Nash's IQ, top tier ever. Yes. Uh, Gentry's had guys. Terry Stotts. If Damian Lillard isn't there, there's zero chance the Blazers ever make the playoffs. Hundred percent. And I don't mean like. Damian Lillard being out. I mean, insert any other point guard that's not an all-star there. They're not making the playoffs ever. And Maybe outside of Steph Curry, I don't even think an all-star point guard could fit what Lillard does for the team. Yeah, they probably can't. And and it's, it's the winning formula for these guys. It's because their IQ isn't quite as good as their point guard's IQ. And... They end up being the coaches of the game, and they can only coach so much at the point guard spot. Yeah, and you mentioned adjustments. The thing with, like, there's two types of adjustments, at least in the league, that coaches have to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, game to game, which I think Boonholzer is pretty good at. Uh-huh. And at all, times, all least... those coaches I named, they showed me that they could make game to game adjustments. Yep. Like, Terry, even Terry Stotts, who's less than those other guys... 
he would the guys who we criticize as maybe not getting any touches or shots uh, yeah. the next game they'd make an effort to get those guys shots yeah terry actually might be the best of these guys at game to game adjustments right yeah but the the in-game adjustments and with those other coaches they were weaknesses but i saw it to a, a minimal extent yeah dan tony was decent most of the time but right. again you never know if that's if that's harden doing it if that's right. nash so go but ahead looking at mike boonholzer and we could we have a better understanding of boonholzer's coaching especially with milwaukee because th- there's not a supreme iq talent on the court right and Just, he doesn't play teague the last guy he had success with <laughs> right and Teague wasn't really a high IQ guy. He was just a talented guy. Yeah, he was a, just a competitive guy. Right. Yeah. But my thing is, just look back on these playoffs. Is there? Can you point me to one example of Boonholzer making an in-game adjustment? No. I don't, not, I'm not, not even going to bother to try to think. <laughs> I know I can't because I would remember. That's exactly. how rarely he does it. Exactly, because there's going to be a time when you make an in-game adjustment and it wins you the game, or it goes from you almost getting blown out to you getting destroyed. I I wish they had like advanced stats online where you know they the stats that they throw out during the game, like they have never lost a game when leading at the half. Because I would like to know that if how many games they've won when being down at the half. Yes. And, and Milwaukee is so good that they they can on the surface they can fool you into thinking that Boonholzer makes adjustments. Yeah, they can Be- because they'll come out of like a halftime and just play harder. Yeah, or just rebound more. And because they're so talented, so big, it completely changes the game. Yeah, and but that's not I'm not giving any of that credit to Boonholzer. Any decent leader can do that with their team. And the thing is, Budenholzer's teams, his whole career, he's had just straight-up effort guys. Yes. Like, guys who really, as long as they play hard, they play good. Like, Tucker, Greek Freak is mainly like that. Portis. You can go back to Josh Smith, Al Horford. Millsap. Those guys, Millsap, as long as they play hard, that that is their game. That is their good game. Effort. But... It doesn't win you championships, like you said. Exactly, and that's that's what I like. That's the point. Is those guys I named are they have good resumes as coaches? Yeah. So I'm not saying he's not a successful coach. He's had a lot of success. Yeah, but but, but you have to be able to adapt to win championships. And all his championships have been at the assistant coach. Yep, and and Monty Williams has adapted every round. Yeah. That's why and a lot of mid games. Exactly. That's why Phoenix is as good as they are. Yep. Because they don't. It hasn't been Devin Booker carrying or CP carrying. It's been a collective effort. Guys stepping up here. Guys stepping up there. Yep. Because you're changing things. You're adjusting to what's working well. You're adjusting to what's not working well. In game, I never see that from Budenholzer. No. I don't either. And they've gotten by so far because they've been much better collectively than the other team. Yep. And to, and to be honest, if Monty Williams didn't do it, I 
I have confidence that CP would be able to. Right. But, I mean, there's been games without CP, so I know it's Monty Williams doing it. But if he didn't, CP would definitely be right there for his backup to be able to do that. Because it's clear when CP knows that there's something that needs to change mid-game, you notice it in how he plays. Yeah. Yeah, but you don't notice it in how any of the Milwaukee guys play other than just more effort. They don't, like, say, okay, we're doing more screens, do more isos. You can see that CP and the rest of the team have a lot of dialogue in the game, a lot of conversations. I don't see that from Milwaukee and anyone on the team. Dude, Greek Freak and and Middleton look like they never speak, like, to each other, ever. I know. Yeah. It's bizarre. It was like Jokic in Denver. I get it because, you know, the, the language barrier. Yeah. And Jokic has gotten better with that. But with Milwaukee, it's these guys are like have been a duo for a long time and they look like they don't even care about each other. And and even then, Jokic still puts people in spots. You can see him telling guys where to go, what spots, yep. where he wants them to be so he can find them. When and he the wants is, them to cut. Yeah, and I don't see and I don't see that from anybody on Milwaukee. You know and what's... yes, it's on Greek Freak because he's supposed he's the two time MVP, he's the leader, he's the guy who makes twice as much money as anyone else on the team, so it should be his responsibility. But I don't see it anywhere. But he's never shown me the IQ to do that, and that's that's okay. It is okay, yeah. Like Middleton has shown me the IQ to do that, but Middleton just kind of plays his own game. Yep. And I, at times, you know, Holiday shows some flashes of IQ and then shows none sometimes. Yeah, Holiday talks to guys when he's playing well, but when he's trash, all he cares about is that how he's missing everything. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it's so bizarre that I could go to a duo that I don't even think is a duo. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard speak to each other more than Middleton and Giannis do. <laughs> Kawhi doesn't speak to anyone. <laughs> yeah, Kawhi can barely yeah. speak. <laughs> Yeah, and I see more dialogue between those guys than I do guys who've played together for four years now, five years. Yeah, and and this is another case of leadership on the team. I don't see that much leadership at a Greek freak other than just like even just surface emotional leadership. It's not even it doesn't even look like that great of emotional leadership. It's, it's I saw more emotional leadership from Portis in Game Five exactly. last. That's, that's what bothers me is when my sixth or seventh guy can't be the like the bring the team together guy. And you look at Atlanta, and we've we championed Trey Young all season, and the, the amount how much he talks to his players is just crazy. They talk every single possession. Yep, he's saying something to them, dude. CP. CP Pointing. talks to his players while like 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 going at a guy. Yeah, he does. It's and these guys can barely speak to each other. I just I don't get that. Yeah, it it shows you the difference in leadership from guys like Trey, like CP, um, even Mitchell, like Mitchell. Exactly. Um, and Jokic, to, whether Jokic is a good leader or not, he's a leader. Yep. I don't see any... I mean, Budenholzer doesn't even talk to everyone on the team. No, he doesn't. You remember you remember that clip in Atlanta when Budenholzer was having the... <laughs> Budenholzer and Larry Drew were having the timeout and um, Jamal 
Josh and Joe were like still on the court having their own little mini huddle. Yeah. <laughs> I see the same thing happening here. It's just the the little like chemistry things that are required for for a team to be a championship team. Just isn't there. I don't see it. Yeah. I, don't I see only it see it when things are going like it's front runner shit. That I only see it when things are going well. Right. Right. And I guess to close out, I do want to say, like, we've been very negative about Milwaukee, but they mm-hmm. deserve it because this was a really bad loss. It was a bad loss. It was a bad. Anytime and, you're really in the game and you still look like you're getting blown out, it's bad. Like, I don't want to. You're only down. They were only down, like, seven or eight at one point and it looked like they were down 30 yes and we talked about it like either right before or right after halftime you, you got to do something different like the game is getting away from you yes you watch that whole second quarter and phoenix is slowly pulling away yeah like the score margin wasn't quite where it should have been but it was like you could feel that the game was going that way yeah and and Boonholzer showed no awareness for that. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and the thing is, if if everything had if they had made adjustments and they went into hedging, they went to icing screens, whatever, and they still got beat like this, we wouldn't be talking like this. We would just say, "Man, the Suns are really good." Yep. Everything the Bucks threw at them, they adjusted to, and they and they got it done. No one could stop CP. No one could stop Booker. Uh. If all that happened, that's what we would say. But we the problem is when you're getting beat and you're not changing your situation and you're just continuing to get beat and you act like you want to get back into the game, you get back into it, and then you're not changing, right? Yeah. Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, right? It's just, again, the IQ, just so so many ways they showed how little IQ they have. Because yeah. P.J. Tucker spent the whole Brooklyn series, like, glued to Durant. <laughs> yeah. But C.P., any, any McCall Bridges could screen him and he's gone. Yep. Frank Kaminsky can screen him and he's gone. Yep. What are you doing? Yeah. So that that was just... Again, I we, we have been overwhelmingly negative, but I said in the beginning that they're still in a good position. They are. That's like like I said about Budenholzer. Game to game, he makes adjustments. Yeah, he does. So so I'm confident they'll come out and play well tonight. Yep. But again, when the series gets tight, Phoenix is better than everybody they've played so far. Yeah, they are. It's it's clear by how many ways they could be successful. Yep. So like Milwaukee can't just start struggling and assume it's just an effort issue it's clearly not right so we'll see i think boot it's up to boonholzer to to decide how this series plays out more than any individual player yeah i agree i agree well um all right so who do you have tonight do you have the bucks uh i'm picking phoenix in a tight game Okay, I'll I'll take the Bucks. I think they bounce back somehow. I take them. I take them tonight in a tight game, though. 
When tight game, I mean within 10. Yeah, like mid-fourth quarter, it'll still be up in the air who wins. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we'll be back uh, after this next game. Talk about it. Give you recaps and same thing we did today. Please subscribe. Follow us. I'll put this audio only on YouTube. So um, it'll be there for anyone uh, looking for it. Right. Subscribe there too. notifications. Follow on Instagram. All that. And uh, we'll see you next time.